to Psalm 100, the book of Psalms, chapter 100. Some of you are like, I didn't know there were 100 chapters in that book. There are 150, so 100 today. I do want to thank Joshua for the opportunity to preach and uh, Ashley River Baptist Church just for your encouragement when I have had opportunities to preach. So many of you are so kind. I don't know if you're lying or if you're just gracious people, but I am thankful for your encouragement and will gladly take it. Uh, Psalm 100. I'll read through the whole thing, and then we'll dig into it together. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of God. I have a question for you that could seem abrupt or rude, but I mean it sincerely. Why are you here? Why did you come to Ashley River Baptist Church today? Is it because you always come? This is just what you do? Did you wake up excited to gather with other believers and worship the holy God of the universe? Did someone invite you? Did someone make you come? Because it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving and you're staying with family and you said, great, now we've got to go to church. Whatever your reason, I want you to hear that I'm glad you are here, and I don't think it's a coincidence that you're here. I think the Lord has brought you here today to hear from his word and to see the testimony of his people gathered in worship, singing praises to his name. My prayer for each of us is that whatever our expectations were for today, for this time, I pray that the Lord will interrupt our expectations. I pray that we will see even a glimpse of the glory of the eternal triune God. And I pray that glimpse whets our appetites for joyful praise of our Lord and Savior now and forever. Whatever brought you here today, our passage is an invitation to every one of us, to all the earth, in fact. And we'll see in this passage the call to worship, the conundrum of worship, and the key to worship. The call, the conundrum, the key. First, the call to worship. Generally, this entire psalm is a call to worship. It says right at the beginning with the title, A Psalm for Giving Thanks. If you're a note taker and you want my sermon title, it's right there. Psalm for Giving Thanks. Let's not overcomplicate this. They gave us a title. We'll just roll with it. Psalm for Giving Thanks. Then it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Now, this actually comes from back in that time when a king would win a battle and they would come back into town with the victor spoils and people would let out a great shout and say, Oh, king, live forever! Huzzah! Right? Don't we do that in church? No, not a good Baptist church. You know, we've got to make sure we're all buttoned up and we're not going to be too loud. We don't want to get too crazy. Understand, I'm all for reverence in worship, but y'all, occasionally it's okay to shout to the Lord. I know in 
some churches, I don't know if it's here or not, I don't know if I've been here long enough to make this accusation, if someone were to shout, even a shout of praise, you get the little side eye, right? Who does this person think they are? What, what church do they think this is? We're commanded in Scripture, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And that's exactly what it means, shouts of praise and acclamation. When was the last time you shouted praise to the Lord? Now, some of you know this part of the verse because you say, well, I'm not a good singer, so this is just my go-to joke. I tell people I make a joyful noise. Well, I'm here to ruin your joke. That's not what this is about. Learn to sing better. Just kidding. (laughs) Make a joyful noise, notice what it says, to the Lord. Not to ourselves, not to those around us, to the almighty triune God. I think we can easily forget that. We get too caught up in whether or not I like the song that's being sung, or, or whether or not I like the sermon, or, or whether or not it's hot or cold, because somebody's hot in here today and somebody's cold in here today, and that's the way it is every Sunday at every church, Lord help us. We are here to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Notice it says, all the earth. All the earth. This is actually, uh, you may have heard the hymn before, all people that on earth do dwell. It's based on this psalm. It reworks all the words of this psalm. And the idea is that all the earth is his creation, and we all sing as one to the Lord. He deserves our praises whether we give them to him or not. He is worthy of our praise. And this is a call to do just that. Verse 2 says, serve the Lord. It also says, come into his presence. These are to parallel one another. Serve the Lord, come into his presence. This is equating for us that when we are serving the Lord by serving our neighbors and loving people, or if we are serving the Lord by gathering together to worship him, these are not separate things. All right? Worship isn't just something we do on Sunday mornings when we come together. It is a lifestyle. But if we go too far into that idea, some of us may say, worship is a lifestyle. We don't need to gather on Sundays, and that's not what the text says either. It's both. All right? We should gather with the church on Sundays and sing the Lord's praises, and we should go out of here praising the Lord with every aspect of our lives. Do we praise the Lord in our homes and at our jobs? And if you go to work out, If you don't go to work out, if you go to the buffet line with me, do we praise the Lord in these things? Do we serve him? Because we're commanded right here. Again, these are not questions. These aren't suggestions. Serve the Lord. Come into his presence. Notice it says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. We should be thrilled to worship God. Have you ever in your whole life been excited to worship God. Whether you came to church to do it or whether we're talking about serving him day to day. Romans 12, 1 comes to mind. It says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's a call for us to give everything that we are to God. And this passage, Psalm 100, says for us to do that with gladness. And to come into his presence with singing. Some of us haven't been glad about anything for a while. We just kind of grumble, right? Then we must be missing God. We must not be remembering the gospel. There is joy to be had in Jesus Christ. 
and come into his presence with singing. Bad news, if you've been going to church for 40 years and you're the guy that stands in the back and says, I just don't sing. God doesn't give you that option. If you're a follower of the Lord, we're supposed to come and sing. Some of you who have been coming with us, you say, normally Joshua preaches and Jake leads the music. You're right. And when you hear me preach, you probably go, he's better at that than he is singing. Singing is not my primary gift, but guess what? It's not an option for Christians. Because we know the Lord. And we must sing. We can't help but sing. So however it sounds, yeah, we can work on it and make it better, hopefully. But if we can't, if we're tone deaf, we're going to sing anyway. <laughs> that was a little loud of an amen. Tell on yourself there. Just a little bit. Now why should we worship God? You say, great, these are all commands, worship him, blah, 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 blah. Verse 3 tells us. It says, first of all, know. The things we know should inform our worship, okay? And what do we know? That the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, if that offends you because you think you are God, you'll be okay. Because there is one true living God. And he is a good, kind God. And he is gracious and merciful to us. And you can know him. And you can love him. And you can serve him. And you can be part of his people. He alone is God. Now, I don't know very many people who would just flat out claim I am God. But a lot of us act that way. At least part of the time. And if you're sitting there saying, no, I never do that, your spouse will tell on you. Because we do that. We make life about us. We go about our day and we always just think of ourselves. But the Lord, he is God. The first thing we know is that he is God. The second thing we know is right here. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He created all people. You know what that makes us? Creatures. I know, some, some of us don't like to think that. We're like, what? What do you mean? We didn't just spring up out of the earth. We didn't create ourselves. We are not self-sustaining. Praise the Lord. I don't have to, while I'm up here, also be telling my heart to pump and my brain to process things and my eyes to see things the right way because the Lord is graciously causing all that to hold together. And you may say, well, that's science. It is science. And the Lord works in all of those things. And the more we learn about science, the more we learn about how beautiful our Lord is and how beautiful his creation is. The two things we know is that he is God and that we are his. Where it says we are his people and the sheep of his pasture, some commentators say that means that all people, kind of speaking toward the whole earth, belongs to him as his possessions as he is the creator. Others think that the psalmist makes a bit of a transition there and says that we are his people, meaning his people Israel, his people in Christ, all those who are his spiritual children. Either way, he is making a claim on his people. And it's tying back into those commands in verses 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise, serve the Lord, come into his presence. This is why. Because he is God and we are his. Verse 4 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of gates and courts, I actually think of downtown Charleston. You walk these streets, and they've got these beautiful iron gates on places, and so often they're closed. 
Have you noticed this? It's like people don't want us just wandering in their yards or something. But you go by and you can look and you can see these amazing gardens. If you haven't done this downtown, if you're just visiting, you should go do this, by the way. You can see these amazing gardens up back there, but we can't get in. Here in this passage, it says, enter his gates and his courts. The Lord is saying, come on in. It's a great call for us that we are welcome by the Lord. Notice it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and with praise. Now some of y'all are like, did he just pick this passage because it says thanksgiving and thanksgiving with Thursday? It was part of it, I admit. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. It parallels with praise to kind of combine the two, as we have throughout our service today. If you've noticed in the songs, we've been talking about thanking the Lord. We praise him. We're giving him his due. But the truth is, if we know the Lord, we won't be able to help giving him thanks and praise. Not once a year on a holiday, but a life of thanksgiving, a spirit of gratefulness, because we understand that we don't deserve anything we have. The air we're breathing right now is his. This life is a gift. Every good thing is a gift from our Father. Notice what it says as it continues, verse 4. It just said, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Then it says again, give thanks to him. It's repeated. You know why they repeat things in Scripture? So that we get it. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Notice again it says to him. Friends, I do wonder if you're here today and you don't believe in God or if you're not sure if there's a God out there. I wonder if you celebrate this past week's holiday, Thanksgiving. Because even if you stayed home this year, I hope you're able to think of all the things we have to be thankful for. I know a lot of families do that. You say, well, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? And people just share these laundry lists of things we're thankful for, and that's believers and non-believers alike. But if you're here and you don't know God, I hope you're able to do that. But I wonder, to whom do you give thanks? We all know in some inherent sense, we just have an idea that being thankful is a good thing, yet if we reject God's existence, or if we question God's existence, Why do we feel like we need to be thankful? Who are we being thankful to? Atoms colliding in space? or I'm not going to give thanks to atoms, y'all. That's weird. If you are doing that, I still love you and I'm glad you're here. Didn't mean to pick on you there. But we must be thankful to someone. If there's no giver of gifts, if there's no giver of all the good things that we have, then we must just be generally thankful for existence. And I want you to know there's so much more than that. And with respect, friends, I think we know that. Again, inherently, somewhere deep down in us, we know that because the Lord created us to know better than that. We know that it's good to give thanks because God has made all of us in his image, male and female, created in the image of God. He has put eternity into our hearts, Scripture tells us. And so when we embrace these truths, that he is God and that we are made by him. We cannot help but do what the final phrase of verse 4 says. Bless his name. Now, for some of you in the South, 
If you're blessing someone out, that's not what we're talking about, okay? This is a continued worship and thanksgiving, the Christian kind of blessing, okay? It's a good thing. We're not cursing God. We are blessing his name. But again, you may say, just as you did with the first commands, why enter, why give thanks, why bless his name? Why not just go on with life? And verse 5 actually gives us three reasons. First, in verse 5, it says, for the Lord is good. Am I the only one that when I was little, I learned the prayer, God is great, God is good? It's a theologically sound prayer. It's a good prayer. God is good. And so often in our lives, that's the first thing we question, right? When life gets hard, that's what's at the bottom of our question. God really good? Can I really trust him? And I know it can be hard to look into this world to look around in our own lives and believe the Lord is good, but I'll warmly invite you again, if that's where you are today, to look again to the cross. Timothy Keller, and the reason for God says this way, he says, if, if again, if we again ask the question, why does God allow evil and suffering to continue? And we look at the cross of Jesus, we still do not know what the answer is. However, we know what the answer isn't. It can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he's indifferent or detached from our condition. God takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. Folks, the Lord is good. And I know a few truths as hopeful as that. If there is one reigning deity, sovereign over all things, we better hope he's good. And he is. He is better than we can imagine. If the psalmist only gave us one reason to give thanks and praise, that would be enough. If they had finished right there and said, for the Lord is good, that'd be plenty for us. But we get two more reasons. Second, his steadfast love endures forever. This and the next reason we find both draw from Exodus chapter 34, where the Lord passes by Moses and just shows him a glimpse of his glory. But consider the second reason again. His steadfast love endures forever. That's his love that springs from the very heart of God. Steadfast, that's unwavering, that's unchanging. His steadfast love, his sacrificial love, which is perfectly displayed through Jesus the Son, willingly dying to save sinners like you and me. His steadfast love endures endures means withstanding whatever may come when i think of endurance i think of running because people talk about if you run far enough you get this runner's high and it's just fun no i don't it's miserable the whole time and it's enduring the pain and the windedness and all this stuff and guess what god's love endures whatever may come not just a long run for generations in fact it says forever Romans 8, 38 and 39 echoes this truth and says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. As they say in the classic movie, The Sandlot, forever. It goes on and on. The third reason we should be giving thanks and praise is right there at the end of 
verse 5, and his faithfulness to all generations. The Lord is faithful to his name and to his people who bear his name. He is the same God in the Old Testament as in the New. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. From eternity past to eternity future, the Lord God is faithful. But all of this sounds great. And if we just stopped here, we went through the passage, man, it's just good. Good stuff. That's the call to worship. Let's, let's worship him. Woo! And we'll go home. We've got other things we've got to address here. And the first one is the conundrum of worship. If you don't know what a conundrum is, it's often a riddle with a pun. I don't have a pun coming for you, but it's often just a complex question. It's a hard thing you've got to figure out. And you're looking back at the passage going, why is this hard to figure out? It's hard to figure out because in our own flesh, we're not naturally grateful people. We're not great with giving praise. We may like to receive it. In our flesh, we aren't joyful. We don't have gladness. We don't come into the Lord's presence with singing. Romans 1 addresses this in verses 20 and 21. It says, For his invisible attributes, talking about God, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, They are without excuse. Listen to this. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Again, it says they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Two direct commands in Psalm 100. Unfortunately, in our flesh, this describes every single one of us. How can we, who are futile in our thinking, with our darkened, foolish hearts, do what Psalm 100 is calling us to do? The verses in Romans say that we are without excuse. But how can sinners like us enter the presence of the one holy God and expect to live? How can we, who have been alienated from God because of our sin, know and worship God. Notice the verses in Romans say, for although they knew God. You see, they knew of God, but they didn't respond to God as they should. You may be here today and you may know about God, but do you know God? How we live in response to God reveals whether or not we actually know God. So what must be done? If we have this conundrum, is there an answer? If we just ended right here, this would be the most hopeless sermon you've ever heard. But there's good news. Because this brings us to the key to worship. And the key to worship is simple. The key to worship is Jesus. And if you're visiting, you probably just checked out because you're like, oh, of course, here he comes with the Jesus talk of, Let's just make Jesus the answer to everything, but but allow me to show you. You see, today is the first Sunday of Advent. And if you're like me and you're raised Southern Baptist, we don't know a lot about Advent except for the candles. And even then, I wasn't sure which purple one we were supposed to light first. 
But today's the first Sunday of Advent, and Christians who keep Advent do so in order to anticipate what is called Christmas Tide, a celebration of Jesus' birth, the celebration of the Son of God who is eternal, coming to earth to live the sinless life, perfectly walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, glorifying the Father in everything he said and did. You see, Jesus came to earth and worshipped as we should have been worshipping the whole time. He alone has come to this earth and given his entire life as a living sacrifice, and he even gave his unto a dying sacrifice. Hebrews 12.2 says, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. I'm going to read that again. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Where is their joy in dying on a cross? For joy, he died in our place. He took the punishment from God that we deserve because of our sin. He took it on himself and he paid it in full. And where's the joy? The joy is that he knew this was the way to defeat sin and death. This was the way to purchase a people for God. Because three days after he was killed, he was raised to new life. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father, where now he makes intercession for all who have faith in him. For you, if you will trust in him today. See, Jesus is the one who came and has done everything that Psalm 100 tells us to do. Verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. We just said that Jesus went to the cross for joy. He served the Lord with gladness. Verse 2 again says, come into his presence. Jesus not only goes into the Lord's presence, but he tears the veil from top to bottom so that we can enter into the presence of the Lord. By his blood, he has given us access to the throne of God. So now we can enter the Lord's presence with confidence. Not with shame, not with guilt, not with fear, with confidence before God. Verse 4 says, enter his gates. I love this. It says, enter his gates. Listen to John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, where Jesus says, I am the door. Some translations say, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Who doesn't want life and life abundantly? Verses 3 and 5 in Psalm 100 call us to know the Lord and his goodness. And again, I'm going to ask you, do you know the Lord? Have you experienced his goodness? Because you can. In John 14, 6 and 7, Jesus tells us how we can know the Lord. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Friends, the moment that by grace through faith you begin to follow Jesus 
the moment you trust him as Savior and Lord and turn away from your sin, the moment you confess that his life, death, burial, and resurrection are the only hope to know the joy of the Lord now and forever. In that moment, you stand justified before God. Not because of what you've done, but because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And the theme of your life becomes worship and thanksgiving to the Most High God. And there are many saints sitting around you right now who know this. And have been striving in their lives to live and worship the one God. Now, you say, great, the key to worship is Jesus. What, what does that really mean for us? It means several things. One thing it means is that we can know the Lord. We get to be called his people. We get to experience his goodness, his steadfast love, and his faithfulness. These aren't just concepts. This isn't just theology and writing. This is day-to-day living, especially in a year like this one. When was the last time you just basked in the Lord's goodness? That you ran to his word and in prayer and maybe on your own, I know that's terrifying for some of you, but on your own sang to the Lord. Just overflowing from your heart because of his goodness. What this also means for us because of who Jesus is and what he's done, it means that we really can have joy and gladness and singing and thankfulness and praise and blessings. This isn't the prosperity gospel. This isn't some false truth that you're going to get the Lamborghini you've always wanted. This is vastly better than that. You can convene and enjoy the presence of the one holy God of the universe right now and for all eternity with his people. It also means it's impossible, or it is possible, for us to be obedient. We can be obedient in making a joyful noise. We can be obedient in serving the Lord with gladness, coming into his presence, knowing that the Lord is God, entering his case with thanksgiving, giving thanks to him. These are no longer burdensome because now these are things we want to do because we see the goodness of God. It overwhelms us. At least one more application of this is what it means for our mission. What it means for our mission. John Piper in the book, Let the Nations Be Glad, begins the book with this powerful sentence. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Remember the call at the beginning. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. If you know the joy of the Lord and for you, you say, yes, I will make a joyful noise to him, then it's now our mission to go and tell others so that they can know. We can't change people, but we can go and herald a wonderful message. Good news of great joy we will hear often in the Christmas season. And one day, make no mistake, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That day is coming soon. To the big invitation, this whole psalm is an invitation is for you to serve the Lord today.
to come into his presence with singing now. If you sat through the first part of the service, maybe you folded your arms, maybe you stared at your phone, maybe you just stood up and you had a mask on so no one could tell if you were smiling or singing. In a minute, we're going to sing another song. And even if you don't know it, I invite you to sing, not for me, not for Joshua, not for anybody up here, but to the Lord God. Because we know God in Jesus Christ. And since we do, let's give thanks to him. And let's praise him. Let's bless his holy name. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you give us commands that aren't burdensome, but they are things that are possible for your glory and for our joy because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Father, we thank you that you are good. And we thank you that you call us to worship you because you know that's what's best for us. God, we thank you that you want our joy. And you know we don't find that but in you. I pray, Lord, that you will break our hearts over any sin in our lives. In your kindness, draw us to repentance. And we thank you that when we confess our sins to you, you forgive us because of the blood of Jesus. Father, I pray that today we find that forgiveness and we worship you with thankful hearts. Not only here as we sing, but as we go from this place and how we love our families and treat our coworkers and love our friends and neighbors. We thank you, Lord, for saving us and not just for Sunday morning, but for all of our lives, including Sunday morning. God, we love you because you loved us first. Let that be evident in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.